Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie, it's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary, maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Bucks, brought to you by BrewHoop.com. We are your source for everything Milwaukee Bucks every single day. I'm Eric Name, along with me is Frank Madden, and we promised a special guest yesterday. We are delivering on that promise with someone who Frank knows very well, someone who I've admired really since I've I've started to follow the NBA at a much closer level. I've always gone, I've kind of gravitated to the websites he's on, the things he writes, uh, the things he says. Our, our special guest is Matt Moore of CBSSports.com. You may know him from CBS Sports, the things he writes there. You may know him from the Eye on Basketball podcast. You may know him from Twitter, where you can, you can follow his writing at Matt more cbs or his thoughts and i mean his thoughts at hp basketball that i don't really know how to introduce him so all of those things you know him from a lot of places before i let matt say anything because we'll get to that in a second matt shut up for a moment um i want to give a little bit of backstory because i feel like matt was the first person in the nba blogosphere that i like talked to and met in real life other than actually i think i met him before alex boater even though we started uh, brew hoop together so matt and i met in las vegas in 2008 and um he was just sort of starting hardwood paroxysm and now he's all grown up and uh i think that's very cool so matt welcome and i hope you're doing well i'm really glad to be here you're one of my favorite people on the internet everyone <laughs> whenever anyone talks about different fan, they're like what do you think of bucks fans i was like well i love frank madden so pretty much anything <laughs> the bucks fans do no matter how much they can be jerks about Giannis or anything else. Frank's cool, so Bucks fans are good with me. Like no matter what, <laughs> we're cool because Frank's cool. We had we had some on like the opening night. I feel like we had some some Giannis truth or friction between us, but it's cool. We're we we've known each other for too long to care. I'm an ag- I'm I'm an agitator. You you I are can admit pro- that you're a professional <laughs> agitator, and I respect it because you. I, you, you know, you're you're honest. You 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 read your mentions. You respond to people. It's good. Well, it's hard, right? Because there's this very difficult line where, if you're not being authentic, you wind up being like certain people that have their own shows in the morning on various sports networks, <laughs> and like you don't want to ever become people that are, have their own shows on various sports networks, despite the good money that it brings you. You don't want to be that guy. So like, I try and be honest and be, but it's also. There are, there's a couple of ways you can go about it, and you can be just super positive all the time. I can't do that because my soul is dead. And so <laughs> I have to kind of balance, like, my honest my, – my inherent level of snark and skepticism mixed with awe and wonder at the league. I am genuinely always amazed at, at what this league can provide. Um, but mix that with the two sides to be kind of be honest and accurate about things. And the, I will tell you the, one of the biggest surprises for me this season, not so it's not necessarily surprising. One of the biggest revelations is a better term for it is what Giannis Antetokounmpo has become. 
I would say it is. I mean, I think. Well, I don't know, Eric. What do you think? I mean, I mean, we. It's kind of funny because I think if you look back preseason, I think at the end of the preseason, Middleton goes out. Um, we talked about how we were betting on the Giannis and Jabari both going over twenty points a game parlay. Yep. Um, and we talked about. I think. I think I put slight under. We look. We did like over under on his his post All Star stats last year, which were you know like nineteen nine seven whatever it was two blocks or whatever. And I think we were. I, I think I went slightly under on assists. I thought he would, maybe wouldn't have that many assists, but you know we thought similar rebounds, you know whatever other stuff similar. And so then you kind of look at it and you're like, holy crap, he's going to put up like crazy numbers. But probably I don't know. Well, well, you can you can I mean Eric, you can you can chime in before we let Matt respond. But um, but I think maybe the thing for me is just like the fact that he he seems to be like affecting the winning of basketball games. At a rate that's actually like close to sort of the gaudy stats, which obviously is something that a lot of a lot of young guys struggle with. That was incredibly Jason Kidd of you to say oh, uh, affecting oh affecting the way wins are made or whatever uh, he likes to say. But yeah, no, I I would agree with that. I I didn't think he was going to affect games the way he has. I thought maybe those stats would be a little bit more on the empty side this season. Though I I think both of us thought. There was going to be impressive numbers. I don't know if we knew how impactful they would be. And and I guess it'd be I'd be curious to know, Matt, if you think they are impactful. Because from us watching every Bucks game, they seem that way. Um, but from the outside, is it appearing that same way to you? Yeah, I mean, he's carrying. I, I guess I'm, this is going to ruffle some feathers. Um, everything that everyone says about Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns, Giannis is actually doing. So. It's very rare that a player is actually able to carry his team. That just doesn't happen very often, and we're seeing it because if anybody could, it would be what Anthony Davis is doing from a statistical production in New Orleans, but the team is is not good enough. And year after year, despite his numbers being pretty solid, the defense remains a questionable aspect. I think that the way that Giannis is combining – there are very few players in the league that go seamlessly from play to play to play for big play to big play to big play. What I mean by that is Russell Westbrook can grab a rebound out of the air for over seven footers, race up court faster than everybody else, whip a pass to the corner, get the ball back, and finish at the rim and one through contact. It's an incredibly amazing athletic performance of seamless transition from play to play to play. It takes an incredible motor and exceptional athleticism. Giannis has the capability. Like he's able to get the chase down block, snatch the board, get up court, slice through defenders, make that spin move, which to me is one of the biggest things that no one is really kind of zeroed in on is how dangerous and deadly that spin move in transition is. Get to the bucket and finish. And I said coming into this year that the biggest thing is that um, I compared him to how Zuckerberg's character in The Social Network, uh, not Zuckerberg, um, Sean Sean Parker, his character played by Justin Timberlake. You remember that scene in The Social Network where Timberlake sits down and they're talking about whether or not to put ads and he says, you don't even know what it is yet. Talking about Facebook? That's what I thought Giannis was. Like, we didn't even know what he was. We just didn't know what, what he was yet. Like He looked like he could play point at the end of last year, but that had spired out several times. Um, he had looked – you know, he the shot was still bad. We didn't know what he was. And now like we have this vision and everything that they kind of hoped for him outside of the three-point shooting, which there's still time for him to at least get into the 30% range. 
is there. He is making an impact on the defensive end. He is a great rebounder. He is able to get up the floor. He is able to to make incredible passes. He does have great vision. He is a point forward. He is this kind of revolutionary position, and he's doing it in a way that is is really helping to carry his team to actual wins, inconsistent as that might be, in a way that a lot of these other young superstars that are trying to carry their squads have not. You can argue that the Bucks have better talent around them, but I don't know how much better, even though I think a lot of the guys have stepped up this season. Um, so for me, it, it's been amazing to see kind of Giannis. It's like, no, like all the hype that's been made about him, no, it's all legit now. Like this is who he is. Yeah, and it's been kind of – it's been kind of awesome. I mean, for for Bucks fans, just to see that finally come through, and and, and to see a player, you know, because it's it, it's been, and I don't know how, how. I mean, I haven't thought about it in the context of of other franchises, but obviously the Bucks have had a very tortured existence for the last twenty five plus years, basically since I showed up in Wisconsin as a kid. Um, you know, the 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 lot, wins. Frank. Yeah, I know, but you know, the number we always quote one fifty win season one. Uh, trip past the first round. I mean, basically, it's like the the converse of what the Spurs have done, where they win 50 games every year, except that one year where Dave Robinson got hurt. And you know, it's just like Jesus. Like they they have to stumble into something special at some point. And um, obviously, you know, there was some skill in finding Giannis. Obviously, there was some luck too. And you know, clearly, he he just seems like he's he's that guy. And and I guess um, as you're kind of alluding to. You know, we try to think about like, well, who is he like? What's the comp for him? And I think he's become one of those guys where you just sort of like shrug and say, I guess there really is no comp that you know is is kind of worth making. There's no sort of obvious reference point for for mostly better and and obviously in the the shooting um, maybe a little bit for the worse. But um, but it is amazing that a guy his size um, and and who still has obviously some holes in his game, basically one um, can can be so consistently impactful and, and obviously he's got to keep doing it you know for this season and you know, moving forward but but obviously there's there's still they, they, the crazy part is that you know there's still um i was we were talking the other night there so much of his quote-unquote potential the last couple of years has been oh well when he when he when he gets his jump shot then you know then it's go okay then something's gonna happen and it's like no didn't even <laughs> need that um and i think it's funny I, I should mention matt that i thought i was wondering where you were going with your social network uh quote because we quoted the social network randomly like two nights ago on this podcast. You two are adorable kindred spirits. My God. Like, as he was starting it, I was like, oh, my God, this is happening right now. I don't – what was – wait, what I, – I remember the quote. It was the whole, you know, a million isn't cool, a billion, that's cool, whatever. But what were we – I don't even remember what we were talking about. I don't remember year, what but, you were talking about. Either. Okay. Like, don't yeah, don't we, keep saying we, what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting. I, I can't imagine he won't be an all-star if there's any justice, if, you know. God willing, he doesn't get hurt or whatever. So, um, so it's it's pretty cool. Um, I was going to touch on one thing. Um, yeah, Frank, you had mentioned before the the night you guys had butted heads, and it, I believe it was it was after the opener. Yeah, and, and yeah, after the up. opener, Kid had mentioned something about how Giannis has to realize where he can and cannot take off plays, and he can't do it defensively. And, and I noted the other week that that was like the one game where he had. Uh, I think he had less less than three stocks in that game, um, just a block and a, a, and a steal, and he didn't do that in any other game this year. Every other game, it was three or more um, in all of those. 
Do you think he changed a little bit from that moment, Matt? Because when I watched the game, rewatched it, and we talked about it a little bit that night, it did look like he was taking plays off. And and I think from that moment, at least in my eye, he's been considerably better in that, in that he's bringing it defensively and he's making an impact defensively. Yeah, he's been great. I mean, I got in trouble early on because he made a bad first impression, which is what – that's like – that's that's how it happens, right? Like, yeah. is, is – you have the the first couple of games, and that's what kind of sets the tone for the season. But what happened was, I saw that he missed a couple of cutters. Um, he didn't find guys in and, the kind and of MKG. Spot. MKG got him a couple times, and MKG like, got him a couple yeah. of times. I didn't like the performance, yeah. and so I was just like, I wasn't, I was just not impressed. But the difference is, and this is really key, and this happens a lot. So one of the dangers of this league and how it operates is, um, a lot of the people that are larger voices they tend to they they give you perspective on what they see from the games that they're at they go to a game whether they're on their own assignment or calling it or, mm-hmm. or whatever and they're able to give you that perspective you have to catch them night after night after night after night after night now i think fans that watch the game every single night struggle and even beat writers i think they struggle because they get sucked into the window of they're in with that team so they don't see how this team is operating versus all the rest of them. They have no baseline of comparison. Um, but I went back and was watching the Bucks, and, and I do tend to watch them because, one, um, I love their announced team. Two, I love their court and their uniforms. And three, um, they're interesting to me, and I love a lot of their players on on, on that roster. So I, I watched it, and it started as like, okay, that was a pretty good move by Giannis, and like, wow, that was really athletic, and I will admit I get bored with all the vines of, he traveled 170 leagues in three <laughs> steps, oh my god! Yes, he's long, I get it. I get I get that Giannis is long. I I, I understand. What I was more impressed, though, is I was like, is those, those sequences where he was stringing plays together, and I was more impressed that he would have these spurts where um, very few guys can do this as well, which is Taking over a game is a whole other level. So DeMar DeRozan is going to, like, he he's going to get you 30 points. He's going to consistently take mid-range jumpers. He's going to make a, a decent amount of them. He's going to get a lot of free throws, and he's just going to pile it up. But there's never a stretch of time where you're like, DeMar DeRozan, you cannot stop him. Absolutely. Maybe, like, a couple of games early this year, but that quickly faded. Never going to happen. There are stretches this year where you're just like, man, they better send tanks at Giannis. <laughs> like, they better send in the Marines because he, every play, he's coming at you. And that attitude really does matter. And you just started to notice that he was adding things on top of adding things, and he gets better every game, and that's what you really want to see. So um, he's definitely improved, I think, defensively. I think that... that We've kind of seen that as far as the metrics go, where they've evened out um, in a lot of those kind of areas. There are still going to be weaknesses, and there's still going to be things that he has to learn, and, and all of that is going to be tough, and it's there are going to be growing pains, but this is kind of his real emergent season, and it's a blast to watch. Yeah, and that's not something we've been able to say much in in my life as a Bucks fan that we have just this one guy who has this sort of singular uh, ability to uh, you know to really be kind of that like must see TV type guy and and I think it's cool to to now to have him on on national TV here coming up and um, and hopefully rise to that challenge as you know he's often risen to challenges as we saw in, against LeBron and um, pretty much all the other big big name guys he's gone against the series he's kind of upped his game so hopefully we'll see that but um obviously it's as you said it, it's still very much a process and and that goes on both ends um one thing i wanted to ask about so i mean Giannis has obviously gotten the deservedly gotten the the hype and um he's become the kind of 
concern. I mean, I don't think I don't think most Bucks fans thought that that Jabari was as good as Giannis coming into the season. I think last year, kind of Giannis really. Um, actually, I, I'll say this: we had so we had we run a poll every summer where we basically do like Bucks Survivor and we kind of vote players off one by one and, and basically it's like an asset ranking thing and I was surprised because the year that Jabari was a rookie right so this was like a few months after he was drafted Giannis was coming off a rookie year in which he showed flashes of kind of what you were talking about like those being able to string together like a great defensive play and then a, you know a finish on offense or something like that you know and that obviously wasn't consistent and wasn't necessarily a guy who was actually helping you win NBA basketball games at the age of 18, 19. But, you know, you saw this this talent, obviously, in a very raw form. Um, and I was very surprised because people that summer voted Giannis as the more valuable asset uh, on the Bucks roster. And, and maybe that was, you know, just because people were already, like, emotionally connected with him because they'd had him for a year or whatever it might be. But I was kind of surprised because I thought, well, I, th- I would have thought Jabari as second overall pick and all the pedigree and all this other stuff that he would have been considered the better sort of you know talent um and that's obviously kind of can stayed consistent the last couple of years is with Jabari's injury and then Giannis obviously beginning to make that leap so I don't know if it was necessarily surprising I mean it's not surprising I guess to us that you know Giannis is is the guy um but with Jabari obviously he's been a really interesting player because he had the injury um he's obviously started to find his way as a scorer he started to become more of that stretch four that you know Jason Kidd talked about him eventually becoming a stretch four last year. He's shooting a lot more threes. He's shooting jumpers in general much better. Um, but he also still obviously has flaws. He doesn't. He's not a. He's not even an average defender. Um, and he kind of struggles to, you know, really impact the game in positive ways outside of of when he's kind of got his scoring going. So. You know, what, what kind of do you see from Jabari? And, and I mean, where do you kind of put him? You're not necessarily comparing him to, to Giannis, but um, in the context of kind of the Bucks and, and obviously guys in his age range, um, what's been kind of your impression of Jabari this year? I hate Bucks fans for making me realize how bad his defense is. I'm just <laughs> so mad. I was, I was in bliss. I was in blissful ignorance and did not have to worry about it. I could just talk him up. Uh, I tweeted before the year somebody was talking to me, and I actually responded that I thought Jabari, like I wanted Jabari over Giannis. I, that was my thing. Is I was like, no, nah, I'll take I'll take Parker, um, because like I said, I didn't know what Giannis was going to be, and there's a whole bunch of outcomes there. And with Parker, I feel like I do know what he's going to be, and he's he's largely becoming it. Even if I don't think this is the end of his defensive conversation, though. I'm skeptical he'll improve, and the reason is um, it's just very rare that we see a guy struggle to the degree that he does even get to, hey, um, he's a helpful defender. Not great, but he helps the overall scheme. Usually you what you're hoping for is he gets to James Harden, which is this year, which is this year with Harden, it's he's fine. He's not a problem. He makes a couple of plays. He'll make a couple of steals. He, he's not mercilessly killing you with a disgusting lack of effort that makes you question <laughs> what is possibly going through his brain and reach for a bottle. Um, I think my line has always been that the Bucks will be lucky one day if he's a bad defender. And, and again, that's very harsh, but he, like you said, he, he really does struggle to such an extent. Yeah, and now offensively, I love him. I love his game. I've loved him since Duke. I, I I'll just go ahead. I don't get why he's a four i've never understood it i don't i and you and if you want to say because you will get absolutely annihilated by threes defensively 
I don't think he can guard stretch fours either. Uh, his defensive awareness is too bad, and a lot of the fours are starting to learn pump fake and drive moves. That's becoming more and more of an issue. Like Ryan Anderson is is not exactly fleet of foot, but he has a good quick first step, and he can get he can get around you two steps in order to launch a, a one legged runner, um, a la Dirk which is who Anderson has modeled so much of his game around. And I don't think Parker has much of a chance at all of being able to defend that. So I don't see the 3-4 the switch. Like, you're still going to need a great 2 or a great 4 to defend the 3s. Like, you're just going to have to do that. I think offensively, I think Parker has a lot more to offer as far as a passer. I have never understood the idea of him being a big because I look at him and how even if he's not, you know, his athleticism is interesting because he's a leaper and he's got – burst he it's really interesting he has explosiveness but not quickness which i don't think i've ever seen in a player i don't think i've ever seen that like usually it's well he's not explosive but he's quick or but but he's the exact opposite and i don't understand how that works but that's when i watch him that's what i keep thinking is he's not devastatingly quick but it's almost like after the initial move he just sustains momentum and that bursts him enough to get to the rim, and he's obviously got the athleticism to jump and, and dunk and, and do the things that he does, which are awesome. Um, I think his offensive game, his stealing is still just through the roof. Just, I thought he was going to win Rookie of the Year before he went down with the injury. I, I love his overall game. I liked his game better than Wiggins. That was my that was where I was at coming in. I like Jabari Parker better than factoring injury with Joel Embiid. I like Jabari Parker the best of that draft class. So, um, and I, I continue to look at him and see the, the tools to get there. You know, it's weird with this team. I think in a lot of ways, um, the on off numbers speak a lot to this, right? That Giannis is so, is so demonstrably worse with Parker. Uh, this gets turned into, and I, I wrote a big thing on Kawhi Leonard today, kind of translate this. The better idea to think about when you look at the on-off numbers between players is how are they fitting together, right? And I think that one of the lessons is that Parker may not fit with a Giannis team, and that's okay. That's that's all right. But the issue is going to be he's too valuable to trade, and you're definitely not moving Giannis. He's your guy going forward. So you're just kind of stuck with this awkward situation where they don't really work together until one of them either leaves in free agency or a trade is is made. So – um, I think Parker's ceiling is still sky high. If I were the Bucks, I would seriously look at teams that have talent in Giannis's age range that could seriously help and be looking at a potential trade of Parker despite the number two pick. Look, is, is it possible that he goes somewhere and starts putting up 40 points a night? Yeah, look, he's got that scoring potential. But you have a guy that is going to have the potential to go for 40, 15, 7, 9, 11, 28, <laughs> 60, 55, you know. So your biggest goal needs to your biggest goal needs to be what goes around Giannis, what works with Giannis, what players make Giannis better, what players can Giannis make better. And if Jabari Parker is not such a player, which it does not appear to be that he is, I would be looking at asset management, but then I have no patience and want and root for chaos. <laughs> I see. I I have kind of like two thoughts on this. I think one, I I've sometimes heard you know the when I hear the idea of Giannis and Jabari don't fit together, and I, I feel like that's I, I would want to tweak that and say it's not about whether Giannis fits with Jabari. It's about whether Jabari fits with Giannis because not only is Giannis obviously you know the 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 bigger upside. Um, and again, I'm 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 
I've always viewed him as bigger upside, not necessarily because I thought Giannis would score this much, but just because he can just do too much stuff, and I just worried Jabari was just going to be way too much of a one-way guy. But anyway, parking that for a moment. Um, but it, it really was like, okay, can can Jabari – is Jabari good enough, period? It's not so much are Giannis and Jabari together good enough. For me, it's more like are, is Jabari just a good enough player that he can play with a guy who, let's be honest, is a guy who creates for others – who can cover up, you know, potential weaknesses of, of Jabari's on defense, um, who in a lot of ways, I mean, in theory, I mean, you know, unless you think that Jabari just needs the ball constantly in his hands, which honestly I think Jabari actually has shown that, you know, he can flourish by being a great cutter, and now he's being a pretty good catch-and-shoot guy suddenly. Um, and he's doing things that shows that in, in theory, I can square Giannis with Jabari, and you know, I think as you were alluding to, if 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 you couldn't, it's not really a question of oh, well, then you got to see what you do with Giannis. Obviously, it's it's what you do with Jabari, but I don't know. I think in theory, offensively, um, I think they should be able to work. Um, I think you know the questions you raise about whether he's a three or a four. Um, you know, with Giannis around, like in uh, us kind of throwing our hands up in the air trying to figure out what he is, um, I think playing Jabari defensively often on wings is is better because I think weirdly he's one he's he's the, maybe the rare guy who as a weak defender actually does less damage on the ball versus off the ball where he's going to be prone to just forgetting that you know Ryan Anderson or whoever can actually shoot threes um right. and well, so like everyone can shoot layups yeah well <laughs> and it, one example there is is you know say he's facing Danilo, Danilo Gallinari right um if you go, if you're able to get to a point where he's old enough and has grown into himself and is mature enough and his basketball experience has grown, you can tell him, look, don't and and Gal will be out of the league by then. But you can tell him, like, look, I'm not asking you to shut down Daniel Gallinari. I'm not asking you to crowd him and force a backcourt turnover. Just shade him to help. That's all you have to do. Just shade him to the side that he's not comfortable with. If he goes to the step back, let him have it. Um, so that's like an above average wing that, that you can look at and say, you know, do that. Um, those are the kind of guys that, you know, he can, and in, even when it gets to guys like LeBron, I, I just think that's always a conversation that's funny to me because it become people will say, you know, like, well, what's he going to do against LeBron? Well, no one's doing anything against LeBron. <laughs> He's LeBron James. It's, it's the same way that people were like, you can't have him as a point guard. Steph Curry will light him up. Steph Curry, there. Steph launches from 70 feet out. There is, like, nothing you can do to stop Steph Curry. It's an irrelevant question. So I think you can learn it. I, I just – I think part of it is <laughs> – I guess here's here's part of it. I think you have a better chance of being able to get assets you can maximize from trading him versus finding a way to maximize him, to actualize Jabari Parker. I don't think that he can be actualized next to Giannis. I could be wrong on that. It's possible. I was wrong about Giannis becoming this, so it's entirely possible. But my impulse is to say that they would be better off finding assets they could do elsewhere. And, and part of it is uh, I don't necessarily believe – I don't believe in patience as much as I used to. <laughs> I believe in patience. I believe in patience when you don't have the guy. Um that's kind of what, and I, I cover the Denver Nuggets, so I know a lot about that situation. And I believe <laughs> that you have to be patient and not make irrational moves and not bury yourself in cap problems or short-term solutions or overpaying for free agents. It doesn't help you. I think if you have a guy like Giannis, 
I think that you have to say, we have this guy, we need to pursue it. It's why I don't blame the Pelicans for the trades that they made, which everyone hated, because they were like, you should have just gone young and put all these young pieces. They had Anthony Davis, and they wanted to win now. That's what you should do. You should want to win immediately when you have a guy that is of that level. And I think Giannis this season has reached that level to where if it hurts giving up Parker, but you get back so many other good assets along with the other young guys that you have who I think are really good on this team, I think that sets you up better for the long term than trying to continuously make something that's an awkward fit work. Like, you have the safety blanket of knowing we have Giannis. Like, like oh, Jabari Parker is great in Orlando or Philadelphia or Denver. We have Giannis. So you're still going to come out ahead in those situations. I think that enables you to be able to take chances on getting those kind of guys. Your worry is that down, down the range, down, down the line, it's, man, Giannis just needs one more score shot creator. They just need one more guy. Boy, wish they had Jabari Parker the same way that everyone's like, man, the Thunder just need one more shooter, one more guy who can create off the bench. Ooh, if they only had James Harden, that's what you're really worried about. But I think that uh, Parker's defensive liabilities kind of make that an easier pill to swallow. So I guess the the logical next question would be taking a look around the league, taking a look at the Bucks roster, knowing that Chris Middleton will come back next year, and maybe he won't be the same Chris Middleton. I mean, his hamstring was literally ripped from the bone. Um, so we don't necessarily know what that injury will be. But taking a look at that roster, what is it then that this Bucks team needs to go to the next level? Because they have Giannis, and that's great, and he's able to win them some games. But what is it? what are the weaknesses of this roster? What is it that that they could do to to strengthen this roster and allow Giannis to take them kind of to that next level. I'm assuming Thon is still a far off distant dream that he's still that that's still a work in progress. Um, he, he looked like one last night. <laughs> As I right. say, after his six minutes in Toronto, yes, I will say that. Yeah. So I think I think rim protection has to be a premium. I just do. Uh, I love how Greg Monroe has played this year. Uh, he is doing the Bucks such a favor because they, they're going to be able to, uh, I think, sell high on him. I think that he is rehabbed. I mean, if if GMs and scouts are paying attention, this Greg Monroe is the one that you want. Like, this is the one that you're looking at and going, yeah, this would this this guy would actually help our squad. Um, but I think the rim protection would help because part of it is um, I'm learning more and more that. With these elite guys like Giannis, teams focus a lot on making them not hurt them. They try and take them away, and this is not just because I've been buried in a, a Kawhi Leonard article that absorbed my life the last five five to 20 days. Um, but teams really do do this. They, they really do. They find whatever ways they can to limit what you can do. So this happened with the, the Thunder a lot where you know, Serge Ibaka, when he was at his best, was his dominant shot blocker, just dominant. <clears throat> so what teams would do is, they would use, that was when stretch four started coming in. They would just space them out and make it to where it would be, look, you have to get from the corner to the rim to block this shot. But if you have a five, there are never going to be enough stretch fives, and teams are never going to be able to facilitate small ball that works effectively, consistently enough outside of the Warriors. So your center is always going to have a good chance there. So if you get a shot-blocking center, I think that just shores up your defense permanently on lockdown. And then the other thing, I, I think we know what it is. It's shooting. 
Like it's just it's just shooting. And I think Brogdon's gonna get there. And if you have Brogdon and Middleton and you play those two at a combo two three and, and then you find any sort of, of decent answer at I don't know. I, I tend to think I like I like Delhi. I mean I just do. I I like Delhi and think that he does a lot of what they need him to do. Um I'm fine with actually Delvadova starting for a team that's trying to make a, a serious run. But if you can find a, a point guard upgrade, that's fine. But you know, Giannis is going to have the ball so much, you need a point guard that can shoot and doesn't need the ball. There are more of those. Combo guards are, are more in vogue than ever. But I think that adding those kind of components are, is what's going to be so important for them. Uh, you could use a guy, I think, off the bench to be able to create. Uh, this is going to make you guys blanch, but I, I think like a guy like Monte Ellis – <laughs> Actually, not not Monte because of the history, but I think a guy like Monte Ellis that can just come off the bench and you know Jamal Crawford just he's going to get you buckets and your bench units are going to be okay when Giannis is not on the court and they're going to be able to score effectively. I think that getting a guy like that's important, but for me, I think it starts and ends with build a great defense, get shooters around Giannis, and that's a model that you can tweak going down the line. But that to me is a good enough model going forward. You, you mentioned defense, Matt, and I know. Uh, defense has been a very, let's say, complicated topic for the Bucks because they... It's fascinating this year. Their yeah. scheme is insane. I didn't notice it until I started watching. <laughs> the Bucks' scheme is nuts. <laughs> well, so, I mean, two years ago... So two no, years no, ago, I want more thoughts on the... I, I want to hear more on Matt. Why is it nuts? The trap recover program is so far out of alignment with what most of the league is doing. It was jarring when I started being because it took me a while, a while to be like, oh, to be like, oh, that's 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 what's happening. So um, I, I would I had to kind of like figure that out a little bit. Um, but when I did, I'm kind of intrigued by it because I'm like, all right, it's going to have nights where it's disastrous because we're still learning out how to do it. But there's also going to be nights where I, I think in the playoffs, it's got a shot to be really effective, and here's why. The intensity level is so high in the playoffs that everyone's energy ramps up, and so you're able to cover more ground. And I found that teams, if they can just – if they're able to make the correct rotations inside, then jumping passing lanes really does give you an edge. Like being able to jump those passing lanes provides a real serious advantage, which it's typically thought to be kind of a gimmicky defense. But the way that they've they've triggered it, it is really fascinating to me. I have doubts about them being able to make those rotations, and that's why they're probably a first round out. But it's an in, it's just really fascinating to see the aggressiveness level when so much of the league is don't get burned, don't get burned, don't get burned. I feel like they. If the only guy, if you knew that the Bucks had Giannis and and you didn't know anybody else in the roster, then you know the, I think the temptation would be to try to do something that is you know very switch heavy, do something that involves um, you know aggression, right? And and say okay, well if you've got Giannis as a starting point, you know if he's on the weak side, and I know I'm kind of tying into our previous discussion, I know. Part of the appeal, I think, of having Jabari on ball against a decent wing is because if you've got Giannis as a help guy slash Giannis lurking, you know, from from the weak side trying to pick off passes when they go over the top, um, you know, he's a guy who, you know, again, we can say, we can question the scheme and, and whether it makes sense in the modern NBA, but um, but if there is a guy that is good in that scheme, you know, you could argue that that it would be somebody like Giannis. Um, and I think, but the, the thing I worry about is, you know, and we saw it last year with Monroe, right? I mean. The, the the defense works 
in Jason Kidd's first year, they're whatever second or fourth, depending on which metric you're looking at for efficiency. Um, then the next year with Monroe coming in for Zaza, Parker and for Dudley, you know, it's just a train wreck, right? And and uh, probably lots of reasons for it. Teams kind of figured it out a bit, and the personnel wasn't as good. And Giannis, you know, probably wasn't kind of actualized the way we've been discussing quite as much, obviously, last year. Um, so I'm I'm really interested to see. I mean, the 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 performance this year, the opponent three point percentage we've talked about was unsustainably good, you know, to start the season, and it's it started to mean revert certainly against uh, against the the Raptors the other night, um, and it'll be interesting to see sort of how that that evolves moving forward. But I yeah I don't know. I mean I, I just don't know if that works. I mean I feel like the Hawks do some have done some similar stuff with success like last year, but I just. I don't know. I'm 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 very skeptical because you know we kind of and that's like the joke when when opponents hit you know lots of threes then everybody sits back and says so we're basically letting the other the other team play mori ball against us like we're 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 sort of you know zagging against analytics on some level in terms of the opponent shot chart um, and and it was remarkable two years ago when they played the Bucks or the Bulls in the first round of the playoffs I remember Steve Von Horn and I looking at the stats and it was like the Bulls allowed the most mid-range jumpers and the fewest corner threes, and the Bucks allowed the most corner threes and the fewest mid-range jumpers, and yet the Bucks were actually a slightly better defense, I think, at that point than the Bulls, which was just like, you know, my analytics mind was just like, oh, that that's not how this is supposed to work. But, you know, if you can force those turnovers and be disruptive and weird and, you know, bring that intensity that you mentioned um, – maybe it can work. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I think, I mean, it's risky. You know, it's working out. They're 11th in, ter- in opponent turnover percentage. Uh, and they're actually really good. They're, they're eighth in opponent EFG. Like, they're, right. they're four fa- their four factors defensively are, are very good. Um, it's all offensively that they fall off a cliff and crash into the sea. But I think... I think that that it's an interesting use of their personnel with the kind of length and athleticism they have to employ that. I also think that if you have a rim protector, that changes a lot of what you do. Um, it's also, you know, I, I think I would also say don't worry about the Raptors game. Like that's a really that's a bad matchup. Don't worry about it until you face them in a the first round series. Then right. you should worry. But what the Raptors do is they're very precise. They're just an exceptionally precise team because they've played together for four years. Like these guys know each other and they have really good talent and they're exceptionally well coached. Um, you know, the, the Bucks have to face a team that's a little bit more erratic to catch them off guard. And I think that they'll have those opportunities depending on as the season goes along and as they, you know, hopefully are able to find some solutions on offense. That to me is, is going to be the big question is, is they got to get some shooting because they're relying a lot on transition stuff. Like they are relying an awful lot on transition stuff. They're 16th in spot up via synergy. That's not bad. That's okay. Uh, they're eighth in transition. They're getting a lot of transition points. They're 23rd in pick and roll ball hand, ball handler. Um, they're 20th on cuts and they're 30th in ISO. So individual scoring is a real problem for them. They need shot makers, and that, I think, is where they probably need to explore the trade market because I do think there's a window. Um, the Eastern Conference is fascinating this year for, for a <laughs> lot a very, of reasons. very diplomatic way to put it. <laughs> well, no, I, I, well, I will tell you this. Like, I, I genuinely kind of look at it and think that I, I think that there's a, there are just as many teams that can be 
really good in the Eastern Conference as there are in the Western Conference. And a lot of it is last year, the East was this joke for the first half of the season, and then they really surged in the second half, and by the end of it, they had better records in the West because the West had a lot of injuries, but also because Boston, Charlotte, Atlanta, and and um, Toronto, and who was the other one in there? Um, all those guys, they all kind of caught their stride, and they were playing really good ball at the end of the season, and I think that, that same capability is there where, you know, uh, the Knicks, I think, are probably a team that you have to look at and wonder if they're going to be able to sustain because their defense is bad. Um, they're, they, I think, they lost to the Suns tonight, and that, that's a good example. I, I mean, there's Cleveland and Toronto at the top, and they're they're gone. Like those, those teams are gone. Wave wave goodbye to them in the distance. But I think if you look at it, and I, Charlotte's going to be in, but Boston's been shaky. Boston has been shaky, and it's frustrating them because they don't understand why. Like Boston is not as good as they thought they were, and that's really pissing them off. And they can't figure out why they're not better defensively, and that's been a real struggle for them. Like, the Bucks can look at their team and go, like, why is your team so bad offensively? Well, our best offensive player in terms of shooting is hurt. So that's clearly, like, our our best weapon outside of Giannis offensively is not available. Um, and, you know, our our guys are Rashad Vaughn and a first-year rookie, and that's that's an issue. Um, but Chicago... Well, in, in fa- I mean, in fairness, the Bucks are top half of the league in offensive efficiency, which is, right. feels to me like... like Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, wow, Giannis, you're really friggin' good. Because um, you know when you're you're leaning on Matty Delvadova, who I like in a you know as a role playing kind of starterish guy. But obviously, you know when Delhi and and a rookie are your point guards, and you know Tony Snell and Jason Terry are your shooting guards, and um, you know we've talked about Jabari's kind of struggles to sort of be that you know a guy who affects wins, and obviously you know Henson and Plumlee are, are kind of zeros in that regard i mean it i guess it, it also sort of says how, how important greg monroe has been right because you look at some of the talent they have offensively um it, it kind of underscores that's, how how valuable monroe's been to kind of carry those second unit offense i mean his net rating has been phenomenal right i think you pointed that out the other night um I, i'm i'm curious i but not to derail but do you do you really think that i mean who do you think a team's gonna trade for him i i just feel like we've been see we've been spend we spent the last little <laughs> year Thinking like, okay, where's where's Greg Monroe going to go in a trade? And it just like hasn't happened. So at this point, I'm just like, and especially because I mean the Bucks are going probably going to be worse if they trade Greg Monroe. So I'm just kind of like, uh, I just assume it's not going to happen. Ooh, I, I'll say this: there's a lot more teams in panic mode than there was last year. There are a lot more because in part, you want to know why the Warriors look human and the league is kind of adjusted to the Warriors too. Like last year was like everyone really kind of was in shock of what are we going to do with this? Like, I mean, this is, you know, like Steph is just, he's, he shot 400, he made 402 three pointers and it was just, what, what are you going to do? Like what, what's the point of anything? Like the Warriors bred league nihilism in a competitive environment. That's very difficult to do. <laughs> But but then the Cavs broke all that, and I think people really did kind of remember, like, oh, no, like, it's not for sure. Things happen. It's basketball. No, we could – and there's still things that we can accomplish. But uh, by the same token, you had a lot of optimism coming in this year from every team, as you always do, but I think even to a heightened degree this year. And the Wizards, the Nuggets, the Mavericks, the Pelicans, um, the Suns, there are all these teams that – really have to look at their rosters and be like, at, on some level, you have to look at it and just say, we need a change for the sake of change because this whole thing's broken. And we need to move what we know is bad or not helping us, even if they're good assets, 
to try and get better things in here that are different so we could try something else. Um, I mean, look, I, I don't think it's implausible that the Bucks could get Martin Gortat, and Martin Gortat would be awesome on the Bucks. Martin Gortat would help this team so much. And, you know, he's a lower usage Greg Monroe that's got decent touch and a little bit of offensive game. Like, you can run you can run some stuff with Gortat. Like, that's a really good fit. Um, Yusuf Nurkic is going to be available, and Nurkic is a jerk. He's a huge <laughs> jerk to people on the court. But he's also massive, young, uh, and the Nuggets really don't need him because they have Nikola Jokic, who's a better player. But Nurkic is a rim protector, and he's going to get you those. He's going to get you those post-up points that Greg Monroe does. He's very efficient in the post. So there are all these. I think there's a lot more. There's a lot more capability this season for that. And I think, I think teams are figuring out ways to use guys like Monroe more. Um, I have to kind of dig into the numbers, but it's just kind of an overall trend of, you know, even if you're not, hey, feed him the ball and let him and let him cook in the post, and most teams don't do that, there are situations where you run your offense and you find yourself in a mismatch or you run in transition and you find yourself in a mismatch or you run pick and roll and you force the double and then you drop it off and that guy has to make one one little move as opposed to just trying to jump up and dunk it over everybody. There are these opportunities, I think, for players like Greg Monroe. And with him playing the defense that that he has, even when he's had bad games, but overall it's been so improved, I think that makes it a lot easier to swallow. And, and the other thing, this is the biggest thing to remember, um, fans are always going to be more prone to looking at analytics because – it's our biggest window into results and to be able to get an objective analysis and we don't see the guys in practice. Um, the league is run by scouts. That's still who runs the NBA. Even Daryl Morey is heavily advised by scouts who are going to tell him things like, I really like his motor or I really like the way that he finishes or he's got he's been really consistent in how he sets screens. All of the little things that don't show up in metrics yet, as big as I am on metrics – these things really resonate with GM. So I think that there's still a market. I guess I'll tell you this. Too many GMs tell me that they still want Jaleel Okafor on their team for me to believe that Greg Monroe does not have any chance of being traded. (laughs) It's kind of funny because with with big men, there's so many big men that seem to be available. I mean, to me, that's like the biggest kind of obstacle. Like it's not like, I totally agree. I mean, in, in just isolation of what Greg Monroe is. And I think, the good thing that the Bucks have done this year with Monroe is that they've sort of like provided an archetype for everybody else and just been like, hey, look, see, he's coming off the bench and it, it works really well, you know, and, and he's not killing us defensively and he's giving us a nice shot in the arm offensively. And, you know, other than when Jason Kidd like did his weird Jason Kidd thing and benched him for three straight games, shooting himself in the foot, um, you know, he's he's played consistent minutes and, and seems to be okay with that, right? I mean, he's being at least a pro about, you know, not, not being He's a always starter. been a pro. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, I've never – he if he's a problem, he's only a problem behind closed doors. And he doesn't make his problem he, – he doesn't force them to have to put out fires in the public. Because you just in, – in Detroit, it was the same deal. It was a, it was the same deal in Detroit where no matter what happened, he was like, I'll do what's necessary. Like, obviously, I want to start. But I yeah, want my I, own opportunity. But he's, I'm, I'm, he's well, been I'll great. Do what I'm asked. He's been great in the locker room this year too. Like I, I know I've I've talked about it here on Locked On Bucks before. But I mean, even the night where he just played two minutes, like he was still super willing to ask, like answer questions. He didn't run out. Like he didn't he didn't duck from it. Like he was 
he was just a pro. Like he wasn't he wasn't super happy, and he let us know that he wasn't super happy. But it, it wasn't a scene. It wasn't a big deal. It was just you know what? It's all good. So okay, so well, I guess we don't. So we don't know, right? So I know Matt. You, so you think there, that a good deal could happen? Um, so in the grand scheme, so I mean, the East is weird, and I think this gets to sort of what you're talking about in terms of why teams might want to make a panic trade or, or make a move for Monroe or you know some other type of guy like that. Um, it's because you know we have this interesting confluence of not a lot of teams tanking. Some some in some cases because you know teams don't own their picks, so they don't really have a reason to try to tank. Although you know the Nets obviously can only do so much with that roster. Um, and then we have sort of this like degree of parity when you look at the standings where lots of teams that, you know, if, if uh, conferences were, you know, way stronger or like, oh, the top eight that we know who that is, you know, maybe teams might say, ah, screw it. You know, we're, we're doomed to be 10th or 12th. This year, probably more teams that are saying, hey, we can, we can make a run for the playoffs. And, you know, the GM who is fighting for his job or whatever is probably thinking like, all right, you know, um, uh, let's, let's try to do something. So, Kind of putting that together, let's focus on the East. Um, I mean, what's kind of been your what, what's sort of your your general assessment? You were kind of getting into it a little bit um, in terms of you know Boston and some, you know maybe some team you know team that maybe hasn't lived up to expectations as much. Um, although I do find it interesting with Boston that it seems like everybody talked about how awesomely deep they were, and on paper I think they you know okay that's cool. But then as soon as like anybody got hurt, they were complaining about oh well, we're not we're not healthy. That's why we're not playing well. Um, but anyway, that's just me having lived in Boston for 15 years and hating Celtics fans. But um, <laughs> but if we kind of look at the Bucks and they're at 11 and 12, they've lost three in a row. They've got a kind of a weird schedule of a bunch of home and homes. They've got the Cavs twice, Bulls twice. Um, we'll see how they do the rest of this month. Um, they had this home heavy start, which kind of probably skewed their record up a little bit. But, um, you know, they're still they've been a plus team. I think before the last game in terms of net rating, so they weren't just like getting lucky um, winning close games. I don't know. I mean, what's kind of your expectation? Like, where were you beginning of the season, and kind of what are you what are you thinking about this team right now in terms of where they end up? I think they're a playoff team. Um, you say that almost in, in resignation, Matt. No, I'm I'm just kind <laughs> of like determined. I want I want to see them. Look, I'd I'd much rather see I'd much rather see them in the playoffs than Miami or. Um, or Orlando, as much as I love Frank Vogel, or you know, even even really, well, yeah, even probably Atlanta, just because I feel like I've just seen that story play out versus the Cavs so much. Like a Bucks a Bucks Cavalier series, either in the first or second round, would be really compelling. Um, and a, a Hawks Cavs series is okay. I know I, I know I get a night off every two nights. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think. I think there's an opportunity there. There's a lot of team. I guess here's part of it. There's a lot of teams that have the risk of falling off. Boston has very little chance of missing the playoffs. They just they have Isaiah Thomas. They have Al Horford. They have Avery Bradley. They have Kelly Olynyk, who's really good. Surprisingly, um, they have Jake Crowder. They have all these guys. Like they just they have a bunch of really good players, and they have a really good coach. And so they're not going to miss the playoffs, even if they're not as good as kind of they were made out to be, or that particularly Celtics fans project them to be. Um, I think that they're they're a definite playoff team. Charlotte is a definite playoff team to me. I think Charlotte's the, be- the third best team in the East. New York could go either way. Like they could just drop off the map and everything could be poison 
by the time the trade deadline rolls around. Like it's just it's entirely possible because one, they have a lot of ego. Two, they have a very thin bench. Bench. Um, three, uh, Carmelo is a problematic guy to consistently build success around. And four, um, their defense is so bad that that's, those are the kind of teams that can really drop off if. You know, if Derek, like if Derek Rose just goes back to being halfway between where he is right now and where he was last year, they are going to slip back below 500, and now they're in trouble again. Chicago's another interesting one because I love what Chicago's done. I think that's kind of, I love what Chicago's done. I still can't believe they're going to keep doing it. Like they've been a lot of fun to watch. They've been a lot of fun to watch, and I like their model. I like their coach. I like Fred Hoiberg. I love Taj Gibson. Uh, I'm a huge Dwayne Wade mark, so I'm just like all on, I'm all on board with what the Bulls are doing. But look, they're 13 and 11, and their win their win. I, I did a thing this week on CBS looking at how do you do versus bad teams versus how do you do versus good teams. The Bulls are all over the place. They beat good teams. They lose to bad teams. They're all over the place, and those are teams that. If they hit a weird stretch of schedule or if something happens in the locker room, it can all fall apart very, very quickly. And we saw it last year. This is the same squad that missed the playoffs last year despite having still a lot of talent. They've got more this year, I think, and a better configuration, but they can still fall out. Indiana, you cannot believe in. All of their wins are versus bad teams, except for the Clippers, which is <laughs> it's like the Kings having being 2-0 and versus the Raptors. Like, basket. <laughs> stuff happens, man. Um and the Pistons, I'm not convinced of either. The Pistons have a lot of they they have. I, I would say this: the Pistons don't have anybody that you're like, wow, he's really made a stride this year. They're just wow. Stan Van Gundy is not even wow. They're just like oh, Stan Van Gundy's a really good coach. Reggie Jackson's pretty good now that he's back. KCP does some stuff, and Drummond's big. Okay, and Tobias <laughs> Harris is good. Like Detroit is Detroit isn't wowing you with what they're able to do. Even if they go on a win streak, you're going to be like, all right, you can win some regular season games. But that the the door is still very much open, and Atlanta has been. I mean, Atlanta's just all over the map. All of these teams are all over the map. The only consistent teams in the East are Cleveland, Toronto, and Charlotte. Those are the only three teams that every single night they play a consistent brand of basketball. And Charlotte's not as good as those first two teams, but Charlotte plays better possession by possession on both ends of the floor. The other ones are all over the map, and so that opens the door for Milwaukee to be able to make a run. Um, so I I feel pretty confident that they're going to be in there because um, especially when you look at I think the metrics that really kind of bear this out where uh, you know th- so far they've been 13th in offense 11th in defense and they're 13th in net rating that's good enough like that is good enough to be a playoff team and they still have a lot of potential I think to improve especially with their capacity for trades a lot of things is going to depend on kid you know Jason Kidd <laughs> every 30 Jason Kidd is the weather in Missouri. You don't like it, wait 30 seconds because I don't know how to predict what he's going to do. I don't predict, know how to predict his rotations. I don't know how to predict how the team is going to perform defensively game to game under him. Um, last year was so bad, and this year has been surprisingly pretty decent. But from from the games that I've watched, from the overall sense that I've gotten of the team, from what I pay attention with them, I think that they are a resoundingly good team that's going to make the playoffs. You heard it here first, folks. Matt Moore says the Bucks are going to make the playoffs. Um, yeah, I don't know, Eric. Eric, what, what's your take? I know we were obviously lower on the Bucks coming into the season. We were thinking, you know, thirty-three, thirty-four wins, something like that. And I think we've been sort of trying to edge our predictions upward as the season has gone on, even with you know kind of the win- the losses over the last week. Um, but I guess we haven't we haven't done our temperature check recently, Eric. Are you are you on board with 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 Matt? 
Oh man, that's scary. I mean, just thinking anything good for the Bucks is a, is a scary thing. Um, <laughs> history would say otherwise. Um, but I, like Matt said, it does seem very wide open, and and I do think I think bef- during the preseason we might have thought, okay, maybe the number to get in at the eighth seed is going to be a little bit higher this year. The East is better, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe that's not the case. Like maybe it is still. 39 or 40 that could get you in and if that's the case then maybe the bucks can do it but oh man it i just want to see more of this not like 14 of 21 to start the season at home against some bad teams in there i just want to see more uh, i want to see a larger sample against a, a normal nba schedule against more difficult teams um i'm not sure i'm i'm at the playoffs yet what about you frank yeah, I think it's interesting. So looking at the East right now, you've got Cleveland, Toronto, Charlotte. As Matt said, those are teams, yeah, I mean, those those teams are in. And then you've got New York at, at four, Boston at five. Boston's going to be in. Chicago at six. I I feel like Chicago is is will be somewhere in that in that top eight. And you've got Indiana, Detroit, uh, rounding out the top eight, then Atlanta, Milwaukee, Orlando. I mean, I just don't feel like anybody beneath the Bucks. I mean, Orlando, I just don't. I just don't. That, that team is so poorly fitting. I just don't really see it. Even, as much as we are both Vogelievers, um, <laughs> I just don't don't really see it. Um, Washington, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, so, so, yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think, I think you guys hit on it. I think the Knicks are, are kind of the, the obvious bogey team in that, you know, fourth Knicks, what? Um, you know, based on some of the, the kind of fundamentals of, of sort of the plus minus they, they stick out like a sore thumb they're minus 2.3 scoring differential um you know and everybody else is green up up until the pacers at minus 1.9 so um so it is interesting the bucks are the only team with a positive point differential that aren't uh, in the playoffs in the east right now so um i think they're i i feel like they're going to be duking it out probably um between probably like that seven to ten range um i think It'll be interesting to see just how that that evolves. I mean, the Pacers. I just feel. I mean, again, we didn't like Eric and I didn't love their their summer. Um, we were kind of like feeling smug when they started really poorly. Uh, they've they've, <laughs> they've obviously no. kind of no. They've they've been able to bank some wins though, which obviously wasn't you know. I mean, ultimately that's like important when you're not playing that well and you can bank wins. That's important, especially if you ultimately figure some stuff out, which maybe they will, maybe they won't. Um, so so yeah, I think I think it's gonna be interesting to see. Maybe you know One Detroit. Thing. Go ahead. One thing I would say, I've been banging the drum all year to try and get people to understand. We tend to look at November and December and just go, ah, it's early, and none of these games matter. And uh, Look, uh, this is actually relevant. If it comes down to there's a bunch of teams that are in the same area, and let's say six through nine are all within a game of each other, or they wind up tied, how you play against those teams is going to determine it, not only by getting yourself an opportunity to get up, up on a game, and get yourself out of that mess, and also tiebreaker. And the Bucks are 0-2 versus Atlanta. They're 0-1 versus Charlotte. Uh, they're 0-1 versus Detroit. Uh, they're they're 0-2 versus uh, the Raptors. These kind of games really wind up costing you. Now they're uh, 1-0 versus Indiana and 2-0 versus Orlando. Those are going to help. But winning, it's weird to say, but I'm dead serious. Winning Eastern Conference games needs to be like that's going to be very very crucial. It's not something they can control. You can't be like we're really going to try and win the Eastern <laughs> games, and no, the Western games not so much. But from a fan perspective, <laughs> for the fan perspective, pay more attention to when they play the other teams that are in the the, the playoff range: Detroit, Atlanta, Indiana, Chicago, New York. 
Orlando. Pay attention to how they perform versus those teams more than how they do versus the Thunder or the Blazers. They need the wins in order to get in the playoffs for sure, but you're going to play enough, enough bad teams to get yourself a, a a baseline. You need to be able to make up ground in the Eastern Conference if you want to be able to get yourself the buffer to make the playoffs. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I think uh, that that's we we were talking actually ahead of the the Atlanta Washington back to back. You know, we were kind of saying, hey, this is a golden opportunity with those teams playing poorly right now. If you can somehow just pull a you know forty eight hours win two games against two teams that obviously are trying to compete with you for the East spot, that would be huge. Obviously, it goes the other direction, and and you know we'll see if that uh, if that comes back to haunt them. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think they'll split versus the Bulls. I think they'll probably I don't know, they played the Cavs well well, they probably they played the Cavs well last time. They may have pissed off LeBron. Um, <laughs> yeah, they probably pissed off LeBron. Although it's a back to back. They'll split. It's really hard to be a team twice in a week. I've always maintained that. It's really difficult to be a team twice in a week. So um They'll split versus the Bulls and Cavs, and then you get the Wizards, and you get the Pistons. When you pick up those games, you get some momentum, you're back over 500. Like, I think that that's, that's kind of how it needs, needs to go. But, yeah, I definitely think, um, for example, like here's, here's kind of the craziness. Again, we don't think of these things until January or until April. We act like only the games in March and April matter, and that's nonsense. You have the, – the Bucks have a home and away – not back-to-back on January 4th and 6th versus the New York Knicks. The Bucks need to win both those games. Like, those games could wind up being the difference in the playoffs. That's how they need to approach these games. That really is what I think because the odds are, from what I've noticed in the playoffs the last several years, and I do playoff magic numbers every March, and it murders my brain cells, but (laughs) I also learn a lot. And what I learn most is these teams bunch up at the end of the season. The, The good teams, the great teams burst ahead and create separation, and the good teams all bunch up, and they're all within a game to two games of each other. Win these games in January so you're not trying to make up ground in March and April. All right, Matt, we appreciate it. We've been we've we've kept you too long already. And um I wanna say thank you and I, I as I mentioned earlier, um it's been awesome as a as a fan of the NBA and as as a friend of Matt's who's who saw him when he was just a wee little blogger, uh <laughs> to to have seen Matt kind of rise up in, in, in the NBA writing ranks and uh love love rooting yourself at, at CBS and um you know, we were joking before I, I uh I was saying that Matt's Matt's like writing tree, like the number of people who have uh, started writing uh, about the NBA through basically stuff because of Matt, basically through hardwood paroxysm and all the stuff he's done. I, I was saying it's basically like the the Mike Holmgren early '90s Packers coaching tree. Um, I, th- I, know, I guess Steve Von Horn, our Steve Von Horn, I think wrote one or two articles on hardwood paroxysm. Um, I remember meeting uh, uh, John Nichols from the Cavs, the analytics uh, director there. I remember meeting him at uh, uh, at Sloan a few years ago when he was still working for the Bucks, and uh, he had I think he had written some stuff before he you know started working for an mm-hmm. NBA team, and and then I remember I think I saw you later that night, and I was just like, hey. Here's John Nichols. He wrote for you, and now he works in the NBA, and that was that was funny. It was. I think it's just really cool. I, 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 it's weird because this industry with media, there's just so much ego and people that are just. It, I mean, it's an ambition, and so I can kind of admire it, even though I have none myself. Um, but for me, I'm way more proud of the people that I've given opportunities to. Rob Mahoney was a 19 year old kid when I found him at Paroxysm, and now he's one of the established NBA writers at Sports Illustrated. Um, you know, all of these people that I've helped. 
try and, and put them in a position. And it, and it was never, like, on me. It was just giving them a bigger platform and pushing them and promoting them and trying to get, like, good writing out there because that's what I care about is good writing and trying to give more people opportunities. Like, that to me is uh, – that's more valuable than any anything that I've I've written and gotten – congratulations on or any um accolades that i uh, that i've gotten or any tweet snarky comment that i've put out there that's been retweeted a million times so that's that's the stuff that if you ask me about my career like that's what i'm really proud of yeah and i think it's been fun because i think when we you know when we started uh back in whatever it was i don't know if you did you start hardwood proxism in 08 or was it 07 or something like that 07 it was the fall of 07 yeah that sounds right um yeah, right, because I started Brew Hoop in 07, and we kind of started around the same time. But it's kind of funny looking back, because I think back then it was still like the bloggers versus real journalists thing was like still was. like a, it was like a huge thing, right? And yeah. now it's like so many of these people like Rob and, and everybody else, they've become the mainstream media. I mean, you're at CBS Sports, and so it's just so funny how you people like you now work side by side with you know all the traditional quote-unquote media guys and um and now we don't really worry about that stuff and it's just like yeah if you're good at writing about the nba then you're awesome then write great stuff and the you know the audience will find you so anyway or just write, or just write a lot which is what i do and then eventually <laughs> something will get enough hits to where someone will pay you and that's that's, well, that's another way to go about it. Well, look out. Uh, it sounds like Target for Friday. Uh, yeah. we, you should have something out about Giannis, and uh, we you gave us a sneak peek tonight. So um, we're looking forward to Friday, CBS Sports. Matt Moore, thanks so much, Matt, and um, hopefully we'll uh, we'll be able to do it again soon. It was uh, it was long overdue. Thanks for having me, guys.